0: God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Not that long ago, a pastor friend of mine in England went to the theatre with his wife to see that famous musical, Singing in the Rain. If you've had the privilege of seeing it on stage or you've watched the film, you'll know that the high point is when the song I'm singing and the rain comes on. And if you see it in the theatre, part, part and parcel of the whole experience is if you're in the front rows, you'll get soaking wet. Because as he dances around the uh, lamppost with his umbrella in hand, uh, the water falls. And Pastor Steve recalls how in the theatre, everybody just started singing enthusiastically and passionately, swaying, I'm singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling. I'm happy again. No one wanted it to stop. But unfortunately, the curtains closed, the auditorium lights came on, and it was all over. And he recalled that as everybody was leaving the auditorium and as they were making their way to the front doors, outside, a torrential rainstorm started. And he was struck by the fact That all these people who just moments before had been singing passionately and enthusiastically were now frantically and anxiously looking to how they would get to their cabs or their cars or to the tube. And when he said that, I thought, that's a perfect picture of what we're like as Christians. You see, we can come to church and we can sing our psalms passionately, enthusiastically, and yet when the real storms of life come, we can find ourselves silent, shaken. You know, it's one thing to sing, I'm singing in the rain in the theater, but it's quite another thing to sing that song in real life with the real rain as Pastor Steve Larn. And you know, in real life, with real storms and real trials, it's one thing to sing Psalm 46 in church, but it's quite another thing to sing it during the week. And if there was ever a time we were living in a world that is feeling deeply unsettled and it feels like it's been shaken, now is that time. You know, we turn on our TVs. Last year it was war with Russia and Ukraine. Now it's Middle East, Israel and Gaza, US and UK striking the, Irani, the Iranian backed Hutha uh, terrorist groups who are causing havoc in the Suez Canal. Things are terribly unstable in West Africa, that the whole nations there are just set to go off in war. South Sudan, fighting Sudan, China and Taiwan. And that's just to mention what's going on in the global stage. I don't know what's going on in your personal lives. At these times when it feels like the world has been shaken, where perhaps you and your own personal life have been shaken, can I ask you, are you singing? The Psalter wasn't given to us so that we would just sing songs on a Sunday. The Psalter was given to us so that we would sing songs Sunday through Sunday. You see, this Psalter captures the whole of life and all of our experiences and all of the emotions we go through. The Psalter was given to us so that we would have rock solid confidence in who God is and what God has done for us. These songs were given to shape us and instruct us. These songs were given so that we would sing them all of the time. Psalm 46 was a favorite psalm of the great reformer Martin Luther. He used to often say to his fellow reformer Philip Melanchthon, Come, let us sing the 46th Psalm and let the devil do his worst. He so loved the psalm that he penned his own paraphrase, A mighty fortress is our God. Martin Luther knew that that was a song that he had to sing when it felt that all the powers of darkness had been unleashed upon the church of God in his life and generation. And I think this is a song that we need to study and sing in our day and age. If you look down at the psalm, you'll see that it breaks into three stanzas. And we're going to look at this psalm under three headings. Verses 1 to 3, God's protection. Verses 4 to 7, God's presence. Verses 8 to 11, God's power. So God's protection. If you know anything about many of the Psalms in the Psalter, they begin with the Psalmist prediction or predicament or circumstances. Deliver me, O God. Save me, O God, for I'm sinking. This psalm does not begin with the psalmist focusing his attention on his own situation. Rather, he has learned the lesson to lift up the eyes of faith to his God. God is our refuge and strength. You know, it's so easy for us as we live our lives in this moment that we find ourselves in to have our mind's attention fixated with a 24-hour news cycle. It's so easy for us to be overwhelmed by all the things that are going on in our own personal lives. But this psalm reminds us that we don't need to be overwhelmed by our lives or all that's going on in the world, but we need to be overawed by our God. God is our refuge this is one of the greatest invitations given in the Psalter God is our place of protection of safety and shelter in this psalm we're being invited to run to God to turn to God to come and rest under the shadow of his wings You can't come to this opening line and to this opening statement without realizing that to be a Christian, you'd really need to come to God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who protects us from the wrath of God that is deserving to all those who are unrepentant and still in their sin. All Christians find their refuge in Jesus. He is our place of security, our place of safety and shelter. You know, tonight in Ukraine, our neighbours there will be running to bomb shelters. Same, same is true in Gaza and parts of Israel. Bomb shelters are make or makeshift places of shelter from the bombs that will fall, from the drone attacks. To be a Christian is to find your shelter in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's to find They are our place of eternal security and safety. The psalmist adds, not only is God our refuge, but God is also our strength. You see, when we go through tough times, challenging circumstances, the reality is we often find that our strength is sapped. We feel powerless and helpless. And the wonderful thing about this opening statement in the psalm is that we're reminded that God isn't just our place of security and safety, but God is the one who supplies us with strength. When we are weak, then God's power is made perfect. It's the wonderful reality. When we need help, God loves to give help to the helpless. God is our refuge. God is our strength. And then the psalmist adds, and he is a very present help. In trouble. Now I love this because in the Hebrew it has the idea that whenever we need the help, the help is there because God is there. God's help is always given to us because God is always present with His people. We don't need to request an appointment. We don't need to check in with a secretary. No, God is readily available, easily accessible, all through the wonderful gift that is prayer. You know, sometimes when you find yourself going through challenging circumstances, you might find yourself feeling that God is far off, that God is distant. And the reason that happens is because it's your feelings. Your feelings tell you, where is God in all of this? You know what his word, which is the most faithful and reliable gauge of truth and reality, tells us? God is ever Present help in times of trouble. God is there in the midst of the tough times and, an, and over challenging circumstances. The Bible teaches us that God is our refuge and He's our strength. He is our ever present help. And, and, and what I love about this opening statement is it, is it reminds us that, yes, we are not immune from tough times. But it reminds us that we've got a God that we can turn to, trust in, and a God that we can call upon, and He is there for us. Now, now, if you get that, if you get that God is our refuge and He is our strength, and He's our ever-present help, here's the consequence. Therefore, you need not fear. I, I love that in Scripture, when you apply the logic of faith, who God is. Has an impact on how you live your life. So, because God is our refuge, because God is our strength, because God is an ever present help, therefore, you and I need not be afraid because God is for us, there to protect us, there to help us. Now, I know that even in tough times, all of us are prone to even doubt that. Like we feel afraid. We find ourselves feeling scared. So the psalmist, knowing that we are tempted to feel like that, what he does next is he wants to underline and underscore why we need not be afraid. So he says, Imagine there was a cosmic calamity where the earth gives way, where the mountains fall into the sea, where the waters roar in foam. It's like he paints a picture of hell. Imagine this creation in complete chaos. If that was the case, right, how should the Christian be? Not be afraid. Now use your audacious logic of faith. If that's the case in a a huge cosmic scale, when you're going through a personal trial, a challenging circumstance, since God is your refuge and strength, since God is your ever-present help, Do you need to be afraid? No. Because God is your mighty fortress. Martin Luther could never have been the man to start the Reformation if he feared the Church of Rome. But he didn't fear the Church of Rome. He feared his God. And he trusted his God. And he said, here I stand. I can do no other. So help me, God. There's um, brothers and sisters of ours and the Lord Jesus Christ in Ukraine tonight in Kiev in particular. And they're there because when the war broke out, they had to weigh up the decision, do we go or do we stay? And they prayed about it and they thought about it and they came to this conclusion. If the church is not relevant in a time of crisis and the church is not relevant in a time of peace, and if the citizens of Kiev are going to remember anything it's they did not want it to be that the church fled when war broke out. And so many of them said we're staying. Now we might not fight this war the same way that their fellow citizens fight the war but they made a decision we will shelter the weak. We will wound the men, we will mend the wounded. We will care for the broken we will pray and we will hold out the unshakable hope of the gospel that is in the Lord Jesus Christ so that the people of Ukraine remember that we who trusted in our God will see that we were not afraid because our hope was greater than the fear of death itself. You know the amazing reality is, is when your trust is in God, when your confidence is in God, it doesn't just impact you it impacts others. And if there's anything our brothers and sisters and, our their witness in Ukraine teaches tonight, it's that are we trusting in God? And it must feel like it is chaos as the bombs fly, as their homes and their workplaces and their livelihoods are destroyed. So we've looked at God's protection in verses 1 to 3. Let's now consider God's presence, verses 4 to 7. Now, this is fascinating, Right? In verse 3, the image of water is this menacing image of water foaming and roaring. And then you get to verse 4 and the whole image changes. It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. It's like menacing waters, sweet, serene river that brings joy. Now, let's do some biblical theology. Let's ask ourselves this question. What does this imagery that's presented to us here in verse 4 point us to? So the first question I've got for you is, what do you think the city of God refers to? Well, you say rightly, Jerusalem. So here's a question. Jerusalem is a city set on a hill. So where's the river? There is no river in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So what in the world is the referring to by saying there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God? Well, if we go back to the very beginning of the Bible and we go back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2, you remember that there's a river that runs through the Garden of Eden, giving life to all that there is. In fact, that river that runs through the Garden of Eden, it breaks off into four, divides and becomes four rivers. And it is the image of Eden, if, if, if maybe Malcolm, I'm sure, has taught this, that Eden is a picture of a temple. It is the original creation, God's presence, giving life to all that there is. And then if you were to turn to Ezekiel chapter 47, there's this amazing image where the the prophet Ezekiel is enabled to see the end time temple. And he says this, there will be a river that flows out from the throne of God. And of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city and on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And you know where that's also picked up? Revelation chapter 22. So here's the question. What does this beautiful image of water running through the city of God depict? It depicts God's presence with his people. And God's presence gives his people life and refreshment. And it brings healing and joy. I don't know if you've ever made the connection, right? When God is in the midst of his people, you see that there in verse 4, the holy habitation of the Most High, God is in the midst of our When God is with his people, he makes his people glad and rejoice. Psalm 16, in the presence of God, there is a fullness of joy. In his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 21, God, make us glad with the joy of your presence. So I've got a question for you, people of God. Do you enjoy God? Do you enjoy being a Christian? I'm not asking, do you enjoy Christian activities? I'm asking, do you enjoy God? There's a connection between spending time in God's presence, being with God and God in you, and you enjoying God. God's presence gives us life and joy. That's why Sunday's the best day of the week. It's when we gather with the people of God in the presence of God to sing the praises of God and to hear from the word of God. It gives us life and joy. That's why Sunday ought to be our soul's deepest delight and our soul's highest pleasure. C.S. Lewis, when he was paraphrasing the first question of the short catechism, Man's Chief End is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, said, when God commands us to glorify Him, He is inviting us to enjoy him. This is what we were made for. To enjoy God. And so the most obvious question, and the most natural question is, do you enjoy God? You know, when I was a young, a young guy, a teenager, I believed a lie from the pit of hell. I believed that God was the ultimate killjoy. I believed that God squeezed out all joy from life. And so, like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, I thought that I would find life, meaning, purpose, and joy not with God, but apart from God. So like the prodigal son, I looked to the far-off land. I ran to the distant land thinking, I'll find joy and life and purpose apart from God. And I came to the exact same discovery of the prodigal son. There's just a pigsty. There's just the end of oneself. There is just death and hopelessness and lifelessness in the far-off land. And the thing I love about the parable of the prodigal son is that the son makes the greatest discovery when he's in the pigsty, when he comes to the end of himself, he remembers his father's servants have more than him as he's in the pigsty. And so he returns home, and his father not only clothes him and throws a feast for him, but his father starts a party. Because true joy is not found apart from the father, but with the father. And maybe you're here this evening and you're not a Christian. And maybe if you're really ruthlessly honest with yourself, maybe the thing you've never come to discover is the wonder of the purpose for which you were made. You were made to be in right relationship with God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You were made to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And the only way that's possible is if you come to God the Father through the Son who lived, died, and was raised so that you could have right relationship with him. And if you are a Christian, truly, truly, we need to understand what we're doing tonight ought to be the most joyful, life-giving thing. We are in the presence of the living God. That's why the psalmist says, better is one day in his presence than a thousand elsewhere. Okay, so we've looked at God's protection, verses one and three. We've looked at God's presence, verses four to seven. then finally, we come to think about God's power, verses eight to the end. Just as we're thinking about God's power, I want you to back up and see that in the middle of verse 5 we're told God will help his people when morning dawns. I love that phrase. Do you know when God helps you every single day if you're one of his? At the break of dawn. Because do you know what happens at the break of dawn? Every day, every, every morning when the sun rises, do you know what happens? You get new mercies from the hand of God. Because great is his faithfulness. Do you know that God loves to do his best work in the morning? How do I know that? Well, think of the greatest act of redemption in the Old Testament. The Exodus. When did God destroy the Egyptians? You can go home tonight and read the story. And you will see it was at the break of dawn that the waters of the Red Sea fell upon the enemies of God. Question number two, when did God, if you like, fully complete the work of redemption in the New Testament? Well, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, and it is finished. The finished work was done. He atoned for his people's sin. But the work came to a culmination, if you like, on the third day, when he was raised from the dead. And when was he raised from the dead? See what a morning, what a glorious day. At the break of dawn is when the empty tomb was found. Now, I don't know this, and I don't think anyone does know this. When's God coming back? I don't know. The Bible says Jesus warned he'll come like a thief in the night. But it wouldn't surprise me if he comes at the break of dawn. (laughs) Because God does, in many ways, as we see in Scripture, his best work to bless his people and even to judge his enemies at the break of the morning. And the reason I highlight that is because this is when we see God's power displayed. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdom totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. And everything that the psalmist is saying here, the sons of Korah are saying is this. God will come in Power and he will bring to an end all of the chaos that right now is happening across our globe. Nations are raging, kingdoms are tottering, but God will come and he will utter his voice. And we read in verse 9 and it will make wars cease to the end of the earth. He will break the bow and shatter the spear. He will burn chariots with fire. I want you to see here that there is coming a day that we all long for as Christians. There is a coming a day when Christ will return and he will bring an end to all wars in this world. And you need to hear this loudly and clearly. The weapons of warfare will be destroyed on that day. Every AK-47 smashed to smithereens. Every armoured vehicle, every tank, every nuclear warhead. Every single item of war destroyed. All sin and suffering rid of. On that final day, he will rid this world of death. On that final day, he will right every wrong. Every evil, unrepentant sinner will face justice at the bar of God's holy throne. On that final day, the healing of the nations will come about. On that last day, every one of his people who have suffered, he will wipe their eye. On that last day, he will show Forth his power. Here's my question: To what end? Why? All through the psalm, we've heard the psalmist speak, and then you get to verse ten, and for the very first time, God speaks, and this is what God says: Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. All that God does, he does for his own glory. He does so that he will be exalted among the nations. And because of God's commitment to his glory, we, his people, can rest our full confidence in him that that day is coming where he will show forth his power. Now, how should we as God's people respond? Well, God tells us very clearly. Be still. Don't fret. Don't be anxious. Be still. And know that he is God. And know that all that he has said, he will bring to pass. Be still and trust. Be still and wait. Be still and rejoice. The psalmist invites us to hear the voice of God. And God speaks and God says, Be still. I don't know if we're going to leave this church building tonight and there's going to be a torrential rainstorm. But if there is, don't be silent. Be still and sing to God's praise. God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help, and therefore we need not be afraid. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved, into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar in form, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you that you speak